Well, I'd like to welcome everybody here today. If you, we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Bob. I'm one of the pastors at Celebration Church. Uh, if you don't know about us, we have multiple locations. So I'm normally on the west side of the city. I'm the pastor over at that location. And uh, we also have one in Appleton and Stevens Point. And it's a pleasure to be with everyone today. Uh, my wife and I, we're thrilled to be a part of this church. We love to see everything that God is doing. Man, this is a place that really has an influence that goes across the whole globe. And uh, uh, thousands upon thousands of people download our podcasts and watch videos and uh, have been uh, part of the Laugh Your Way ministry with Pastor Mark and have had their lives uh, touched. So that's something that we're all a part of and we're excited to be a part of. As you heard from Pastor Mark, if you're hoping to hear from him today, uh, I apologize. Uh, you get to hear from me, but hopefully we'll have a good time. And he'll be back shortly. He has the opportunity to be in South Africa right now preaching and teaching there, doing uh, really what, a big part of what we, we've been called to here at Celebration Church, and that's to build strong families. It's a big part of what we're about, and uh, so he's there doing that, and uh, make sure you give him a really hard time when he gets back, because it's winter in South Africa, and it doesn't get cold like it gets cold here, but it gets cold, and, but they don't have any heating, and uh, in fact, uh, Pastor Mark, he's been sending some pictures and things like that. He preached in front of this thousands of people or whatever, and the building had no heat. He was wearing his jacket, his winter jacket, while he preached. Pretty hilarious. So uh, give him a really hard time because he likes the heat. He's kind of got that whole Miami Vice thing going on. And, and uh, so you can give him, give him a hard time when he gets back. Well, today uh, I want to look in the Gospel of Mark and look at two stories that are found there. Uh, two storms in the Gospel of Mark. And, and my prayer is that you'll leave here today uh, more in love with God than when you walked out. More in love with Jesus. More in love with the church. The church that he is building. I believe that to love God is to love his church and that you can't separate the two. That they go together. So we'll look today uh, at the first storm and it's found in Mark chapter 4. If you'll go there, uh, read it up on the screen. It says, that day when evening came, he, that being Jesus, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there was other boats along, uh, just as he, or there was other boats along with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. They're in a storm, and this boat's about to go down. It is swamped. And Jesus, meanwhile, he's in the stern. He's sleeping on a cushion. This doesn't seem to be bothering him that the ship is about to sink. He's doing just fine. The disciples, they're freaking out. They run in and say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and said, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Now notice quickly what it says in the next verse. It says, they went across the lake. One translation says it this way. It says, then they crossed the sea. I want to point your attention to that word, then. Then. Now let's jump over and look at the next storm. It's in chapter 6, just a couple pages over. And another storm is brewing. And it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd. After leaving him, he went up on a mountainside to pray. I think Jesus knew that a storm was coming. I think he knew that it was brewing, and he says, Hey, guys, quick, get on the boat, go out there. So they'd get stuck in another storm, and meanwhile, he's going up on the mountain to pray. 
says, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land and he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. The wind was so strong, these guys couldn't even get the oars to move the boat. So shortly before dawn, Jesus waits these guys out a little bit. He's been watching them. Shortly before dawn, he goes walking on the lake. So this is the story in the Bible where Jesus walks on the water and, and he's about to pass them by. But when he saw them walking on the lake, they thought maybe they had seen Patrick Swayze. Just kidding, they thought they saw a ghost. It would freak me out if I saw Patrick Swayze walking on the water too. But they cried out, and they were terrified, right? And immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. I love Jesus. He says, Take courage. One translation says, Be of good cheer. Like if I'm on the boat, and I can't even get the boat to move because the wind is howling so bad, and we're in the middle of a storm, and I think I'm seeing a ghost walking on the water, and it's crying, it's calling back to me, don't be afraid, be of good cheer, don't be afraid, it is I. I'm freaking out. So I think Jesus is just messing with these guys. So he says, be of good cheer, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbs into the boat with them, and the wind, it dies down. And they were completely amazed. Now notice verse 52, it says, for they had not understood about the loaves. Uh, just before this, Jesus had got done feeding a bunch of people. And it says, look at this, it says their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand. The very next verse says, when they crossed over, they landed at Genesaret and anchored there. I want to draw your attention in this verse right here to the word when. When in verse 53. Then and when. And I want to title this message, The Other Side. And I believe that there is another side for each person that is listening today. God has got another level for you. God has got a miracle brewing for you. He has got a breakthrough waiting for you. There is another side to whatever you are going through today. If you find yourself struggling, if you're dealing with sickness, if you're dealing with whatever it is, God has got the other side for you. Have you ever been on a road trip? You can raise your hand if you've ever been on a road trip. Right? Hands up all over the place. Americans, we kind of pride ourselves at being the home of the road trip. And me, myself, I come from generations of road trippers. Like, my dad would tell me stories. Man, I can't stand even the stories. But my dad would tell me stories. And this is before the really nice interstates and all that sort of thing. So they would drive on highways. And this is before minivans and SUVs and cargo vans and all this stuff. And they would all jump into like a 57 Chevy or something like that, right? They'd all get inside of a sedan. And grandpa would be there. Grandma would be there. Mom and dad. There'd be kids just flying across the back seat everywhere. And they learned this particular phrase when on a road trip. And, and drives. They took like, a four-hour drive took like 12 hours back then. And when I, when I was a little kid, we called it the olden days, right? Um, and, uh, and drives took forever because they, cars took a ton of gas. And they always wanted to stop because there was diners on the side of the road. So they'd want to stop. And what my dad would tell me is these stories that they'd stop and they'd want to get a piece of pie and a cup of coffee. And I don't know what it was, but man, it sent shivers up my spine just the thought of these old guys eating pie and drinking coffee and, and it, my dad couldn't stand, stand it either when he was a little kid just the whole idea of like pie and coffee really do we have to stop 
And that's what they did. And then, and then I got to go on road trips as well when I was a kid. And there'd be four of us all piled in the back seat of like a Chevy Nova or something like that, right? And no minivans back then either. We'd all pile in and we'd go on a road trip. Mom would have shotgun. Dad would be driving. And we'd go on a road trip, right? And uh, don't let this little white boy fool you. I actually, I grew up in the ghetto. I'm from Racine, Wisconsin, and all the lowlifes from Chicago that couldn't quite cut it in Chicago, they all moved into my neighborhood. And man, we had bars on our windows, and there was shootouts next door, and it was a rough neighborhood. So when we went on vacation, we didn't take jet airplanes anywhere. We went on the road trip, and we learned this particular phrase that kids everywhere know, right? Well, I've got three kids of my own now. Uh, Dylan, he's five. He's awesome. And I've got Adderley. She's three. She's my little uh, drama queen. I mean, I mean, my little princess. And, and then I've got Charlie. He's, th- he's nine months old. And, and we go on road trips now. And, and I've learned, man, my kids know this phrase now. And it was approximately 45 minutes into every road trip when I would ask the question. This classic question, this phrase known everywhere and anywhere. And I would say, Dad! And there would be silence. Dad! Yes, my son. Are we there yet? And sometimes there'd just be silence in the front seat as if to say, Help me, Lord, my children, they are fools. Like, if I'm the dad, my response is, what do you think, are we there yet? How about when the car stops, and I open the door, and I pull you out the car, how about then we are there? And I teach them that dads have learned a particular move, that dads know everywhere where it's this thing, you know? And you're going like this, what do you mean, are we there yet? And I'm giving them that move, right? What do you mean, are we there yet? And the truth is, I knew we weren't there yet. But that wasn't the point, right? Like we would drive from uh, Racine to Florida, typical summer vacation for our family. And I didn't know if we were in Chicago or if we were in Atlanta, but I knew we weren't in Florida because I knew Florida, man, we were, when we got off the car, there was going to be a bag of oranges sitting there, that there was going to be beaches, that it was going to be hot and humid, that I'd see Disney World or something. I knew we weren't by chance possibly in Florida, but that wasn't the point, was it? The point was... Dad, hey, I've done everything I know how to do. Now I'm bored. So we need to coordinate you getting to where we're going and me getting done with what I'm doing so these things line up at the same time, right? Like I've counted all the cows. I've played I Spy with my little eyes. We've played the slug bug game, okay? I've listened to both sides of my Amy Grant cassette on my yellow Sony Walkman. I even threw in a little bit of Petra. Come on now. I grew up Christian, and if you did too, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, Dad, hey, I've done it all. What else do I do? What do you mean we are not there yet? Like, I've run out of games, and I've run out of toys. Are we there yet? I'm out. No, my son, we are not there yet. Have you ever asked God that question? God, are we there yet? God, God, God. Hello, 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 God, are we there yet? And I don't know how God responds to you, but I kind of have like a, this deep vibrato voice thing is how I hear God. That's what makes him God to me. It's kind of James Earl Jones and kind of deal. But so, yes, my child. <laughs> but have you ever asked God that question? God, are we there yet? 
wherever there is, we know we're not there yet, right? Like, like some of us, we've been following God for a very long time, and, and we know we're not there yet, but that isn't the point, is it? The point is, Lord, I know you've got a plan for me. I know you've got a purpose for me. I've got this great sense of destiny and purpose inside of me, and I just got to know, are we there yet? Because I've done everything that I know how to do. Like, I've upped my daily prayer time by like 12.2 minutes per day. Right? Like, I've read through the one-year Bible like three times already this year. Yes. And on average, I'm inviting three people to church per day. Last year, I was averaging just 1.5. I've done everything I know how to do. I've got, I've got all my spiritual disciplines where they need to be. I just, you know, shouldn't we be here by now? And here's the question I want all of us to consider. What do you do when you're not where you're supposed to be and you're not where you used to be? What do you do in the meantime? And we don't talk a whole lot about the meantime because the meantime, it doesn't make any headlines in any culture or any country. Like, like here in America, Sports Center typically does not show the meantime, right? Like we don't see the athlete eating his Wheaties in the morning. We just see him dunking the ball. We don't see Clay Matthews eating his Wheaties. We just see him sacking the quarterback, right? We just see a puck getting hit into a net, which is a very unfortunate sport to watch. But anyway, I'm just kidding. I love hockey. No. No, I don't love hockey, but, but we don't talk a whole lot about the meantime. We want the highlights, right? We want to live from one highlight to the next highlight, from one promotion to the next promotion. And not much is made of the meantime. The Bible, for example, doesn't always talk about the meantime. Jesus, from age 12 to 30, is in the meantime. Bible records nothing. And it mattered. That time mattered. I mean, he had to go through puberty. He had to discover armpit hair. He had to deal with a little bit of acne. He had to work manual labor with his dad. I mean, you've probably got to be God if you're going to work manual labor with your dad. But what happens oftentimes in church is we talk about where God has brought us out and where he's taken us. But wait, what about the meantime? And that's what caught my attention in these two stories. And a lot of times we just kind of pass over these two ambiguous words. And we don't think a whole lot about them. And it says, then they crossed over. And then in Mark chapter 6, it says, when they crossed. So when is then? Well, it's when it is. And you can do your research on these two particular passages and you'll discover there's no exact timetable given of how long it took to get from this side to the other side to make it through the storm. And a lot of people want to know, hey, can you just tell me the seven non-negotiable, indispensable, indisputable truths to ensure that I'll get my spiritual breakthrough? And before you know it, we've turned the meantime into whoever's got the secret password, whoever's got the secret sauce to making it to the next level. And before you know it, it's like our relationship with God is more like we're relating to a vending machine where we just punch in the codes to get out whatever we want. But that's not what a relationship is like, right? Like, what makes my marriage romantic is that my wife is unpredictable. Let me rephrase that. Women everywhere are unpredictable. And if you don't believe me, I'm qualified to say such things because I've got a mom and I've got a daughter now and good Lord, they are unpredictable. My God in heaven, help us, right? Like like my daughter, she reminds me of an Almond Joy commercial where sometimes she feels like a nut and sometimes she don't, right? Almond Joy's got nuts. Moms don't. 
But that's a relationship, is that the people involved are unpredictable. And, and you know, God, he's predictable from Genesis to Revelation, but there's a lot of wiggle room in there, and he'll surprise you a lot. And when we start just fixing it down to these seven steps, it seems like God will ensure that those seven steps don't work for the person that's trying to get a breakthrough. Whatever, whatever that is, you know, the other side for you might be a healing. It might be a miracle. It might be blessing on your business. It might be uh, dreams and visions coming to be. And when we lock it down, it seems like God will somehow make sure that those seven steps don't work for that person lest he become nothing more than a vending machine. See, we need to relate to God, not just use concepts. Concepts can be great, but we need to connect with God. This is a relationship and God is a person. But the question still remains, what do I do in the meantime? We don't talk a lot about it. Like, like for Jesus, it was a lot of years. For Paul, Paul, he gets knocked off a donkey, right? And he hears the audible voice of God. He says, who are you? He says, it is I, Jesus, who you've been persecuting. How many think at this point Saul, who's about to become Paul, is probably ready to go preach? I mean, if you heard the audible voice of God, and he came and he pulled you out of your Prius. And trust me, he would pull you out of your Prius, especially if you're a man. Because he wants you to be a man. <laughs> he would pull you out of your Prius. I'm just kidding. I actually love the Prius. No, not really. I don't. But, <laughs> but you'd be ready to go too. You'd be ready to say, God, what do you got for me? I'm ready. I just heard. I had an audible encounter with God. Let's go. Let's do this. But God says to Paul, no, I'm sending you to Arabia and Damascus. And you're going to be silent for three years. Apparently, the meantime matters a lot to God. So what do we do in the meantime? Does the meantime matter? Or do we just hope and wish and pray and beg that someday the next highlight is going to come along? Or do we realize that there is value and significance in the meantime? What do you do when you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're supposed to be? Something inside of us says this, God, I know you've called me and you told me to go but what do I do now? See, I think a lot of people have a misconception. They think, they think that only the spiritually elite make it to the other side, right? Like, like the person, they, man, they must have it really figured out. Or, man, maybe they just pray a whole lot more than I do. And there's that mathematical equation, right? So it kind of becomes this in church culture, that whoever's had the breakthrough physically, financially, emotionally, mentally, whatever it is, they've got the secret sauce, they're just more spiritual than I am. So I've just concluded, you know what? I am never going to make it to the, to the other side. I'm never going to make it through this storm in my life. My business is never going to get off the ground floor. It's never going to happen. My dream is never going to be fulfilled. Only the spiritual elite, they're the ones that make it to the other side. But let's take a look. What did it say in Mark chapter 6 and verse 52? It says that these guys... In the boat that Jesus handpicked to be in the boat with him, to take him to the other side on a mission. He's taking these guys on a mission, and God has got a mission on the other side. The Bible has this constant rhythm that's beat throughout it that he takes things that were meant for harm and he weaves them into stories of good. God has got good things for you. Don't let the storms be wasted in your life. Ask God, what are you doing inside of me? What is this doing for me? How can I help others with what I've gone through? God's got a mission for you on the other side. He's not just meandering through this body of water. He's got a mission. And these guys that 
Mark says that he handpicked. In 652 it says that their hearts were hardened. These are hard-hearted jokers. Right? And the very next verse says, then they crossed over to the other side. Now, in my opinion, these two verses don't belong together. Like, if I'm God, and I discover we've got some hard hearts, right? We're turning the ship around. We're heading back to the shore. And I'm telling them all. I'm saying, you're being traded. You are being replaced. I'm going to find some soft-hearted, kind, meek, gentle people to take with me on this boat to the other side. Not you insensitive, self-serving, self-righteous guys. You're being traded. But not Jesus. He takes the hard-hearted all the way across. And then the text just begs us to ask, right? Well, what is it they did to make it to the other side? Because that's what everyone wants to know. How do I get to the other side? Well, I found only one thing in this passage that we can hang our hat on today. Just one thing. And this message has one point. So just remember this one thing. What is it they did to access the other side to extend the mission of their Savior? Now, if you want, when you leave here today, you can go into the original language and you can study the text and let me know if you find some other things in there. You can email me later. But here's the one thing that I found. They simply stayed in the boat. That's what they did. They stayed in the boat. And it seems kind of funny, doesn't it? So simple and insignificant, just staying in the boat. But man, it's amazing. I'm telling you, the longer you hang around Jesus, the more significant just staying around Jesus becomes. Just stay in the boat. Translation for us today, stay in the house. Stay in the church. And there's going to be temptations, right? First, first, if we want, we can just stop and kind of celebrate that we are not who we used to be, right? We can have a celebration about that. I don't think like I used to think. I don't talk like I used to talk. I'm not the dad that I used to be. I'm not the husband that I used to be. Thank you, God, that I'm not who I used to be. But something inside of me cries out and says, you know what? There is more. That the best is yet to come. That around this bend, God has got even greater things. He's got more for your life. He's got more life. He's got more for my life. He's got more for this church. God has got more. So what do I do in the meantime? You know, I'm convinced that too often times we try to do too much in the meantime. Especially guys. Guys, we love to fix problems, right? Especially female problems. We love to fix those. Like, like my wife, she comes crying to me. I'm like, who did it? What's his name? What's her name? What's the problem? I've got a plan. We'll chart it out and we're going to fix it, right? And she's like, I just want you to listen to me. But it makes no sense, right? Just listen to me like I'm a guy. And if I'm telling another guy a problem, like we get this great sense inside of us that we're fixing the world's problems and this guy's going to go pick a fight with me. I'm not just talking to have him listen to me. And so guys, we're the worst. We're programmed to fix problems. And so it kind of becomes this oftentimes. In fact, there's guys listening right now that you have a wife and you've got some kids and you've been in the meantime and you're just concluding, you know what? I'm going to handle it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to take care of it. I've got the plan. I can take care of this. And you end up trying to do too much. And all your straining can't get you to where God wants you to be. You've got to rest. You've got to trust. You have to understand that God is in the boat with you and that he is steering the ship. Come on, let's remember, who's the one that tricked us into getting in the boat in the first place? Who's the one that called us? Who's the one that saved us? 
Who's the one that put that dream inside of you? It was God. And what he started, he will finish. Right? I mean, don't tell me these disciples weren't tempted to jump ship. You know Peter was. Peter, man, he would have straddled that boat in a second. He's ready to jump out and head back to the shore because he looks back at the shore and it's beautiful there and they're having a beach party, right? Like they've got beach balls in the air and they're grilling up hot dogs, kosher, of course. Uh, they probably ate Hebrew National back then. was a big brand. So he's back on the shore and he's looking back at the beach where they came from and saying, man, it's bright back there. And he's looking forward and all he sees is mounting waves and clouds are building and it's getting dark and it's getting gray. And there's going to be days like that. If we're going to fulfill the purpose that God has called for us, the purpose that God has birthed here at Celebration Church, if you're going to fulfill the purpose that God has called for you, there's going to be days where behind you is bright and before you seems dark and it seems bleak. But those are days that we must stay the course. What that means for us, what it means for the mom who's a housewife and is taking care of babies, what it means for you is stay in church, stay connected, stay connected to the word of God, get in community with other people, don't do life on your own. Trust that Jesus is working all this together for his, his good. One thing about storms, they don't last. They come and then they go. Sometimes they leave a lot of devastation. We've seen that in Joplin and Alabama and some of these disasters. Stay connected to people. What am I supposed to do when I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I'm supposed to be? I'll tell you what you do. You stay in the boat. You stay in the house. Galatians 6 and 9 says this. This is great. And notice the corporate language here that it says. It says, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. There's that ambiguity again. Due season. Say, hey, Bob, when's, when's due season? Well, it's when your season is due. I don't know when due season is. Uh, you know, a couple years ago, my mom, she called me and my phone had buzzed in my pocket and I picked it up and she said, hey, Bob, your, your cousin, we received some bad news. She uh, had a routine physical. She was going to college and this college that she was going to required that she have a physical done. And uh, they found out she's got really, really bad leukemia. And in fact, they're not letting her go home. She's not going to college even. They're starting treatment today. They're, not, they're admitting her now. And before you know it, in a moment, waves, building, wind, howling, and my cousin's family finds themselves in the middle of the storm. Fast forward, it's been a couple of years, and my cousin, she is free from leukemia. She is healed. But, amen. But, you know, people, they tried to give them answers but it wasn't answers that they needed what they needed was jesus they were in the meantime you know you ask the question why why isn't my cousin healed why why isn't my daughter healed you know when i read my bible i see jesus healing all kinds of people i believe jesus is the same yesterday he's the same today and he's going to be the same forever i believe he can still heal that he's a healer but why does she have to walk through this pain i don't know And it's not my job and it's not your job to answer all the cosmic questions. It's my job to stay in the boat. Even with the waves mounting and the wind howling, it's my job to stay the course, to trust God. For if we do not lose heart, don't lose heart, we will reap in due season. Whether it's in this life, right, or the one to come, we shall reap. Sometimes when you feel like you're not reaping, come to the place where we reap. See, it works both ways. The Bible says, when you weep, I weep. Because we're a church. 
But when you reap, I reap. Your success will spur on my success. Your miracle inspires my miracle. We need each other. You, each other. I'm telling you, in times of storms, we need the house of God. The community that Jesus is building. And to stay in the midst of fellow believers that are going to say, you know what? I'm not letting you jump ship. I'm not going to let you jump out of this boat. You're not who you used to be and you're not who you're supposed to be. In due season. I suppose we all need a friend that's going to say, you're not jumping today. You're going to make it. I'm standing with you. If you're in the meantime today, the message is simple. If you're in the meantime, Bob, I am in the meantime. I'm not who I used to be, but I'm not who I'm supposed to be. You stay in the house. You stay in the church. And we shall reap if you do not lose heart. Amen. Will you bow your heads? And close your eyes with me. I want to pray for us. I believe that the love of God can minister to you right here and right now. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. God, we don't understand all the wind and all of the waves, but we thank you that you're in the boat with us. You said that you will never leave us, that you would never forsake us. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now that hear my voice and find themselves in the meantime. Be closer to them than a brother. You are the comforter. You are the healer. You are the deliverer. You're the one who takes us through storms. As your scripture says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for our God is with us. He is with us individually and he is with us corporately today as a community and as a church. We thank you for your grace. Bless your people today and assure them of your endless love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, ushers, go ahead and come on up and get ready to serve communion. You know, some of you guys are in the, in the meantime, but there may even be some of you folks who are in pre-meantime, which means you're not even in, you're not even part of the boat. You're not in... Uh, you're, you're not, you don't have Jesus with you in your life. And you're like, I don't know what to do. You know, today you can take that step. When you figure it out, man, that my life isn't working the way that I want to do it, I'm still missing some things. I mean, are you willing to finally say, okay, God, your plan's better than my plan? I mean, you know, I surrender myself to you. I'm getting in your boat. I'm allowing. When, when you're in the boat, Jesus was the lead and the guide. And Christ, I'm going to ask you to lead and guide my life. And if that's you today where you're like, I'm just ready. I'm ready to have God in my world, God in my life. We can do that. The Bible talks about it. People would come and they'd say, you know, what do I need to do to be saved? Saved from the the nastiness, from my sin, so that I can be part of your boat, be in your plan. What do I need to be saved? They said, you know what? It's confessed with your mouth that Christ is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And then you will be saved. You will have started this journey with Christ. And so if that's you, you're thinking, you know what, man? I just, I'm ready to start. I'm ready to do this. Let's go ahead and pray together as we invite Christ into our life. Go ahead and repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And that you love me so much that you went to the cross and took my punishment. And God raised you from the dead. And I ask you to come into my life and forgive my sins. I now surrender myself to you. 
Amen.